Your show's rubbish. Hello, welcome. The D Trout Spinners here. Gary Forrestal. I'm with Mars Purnell, my um, my co-host, and it's a special episode this week. A very special episode, in fact, because we are interviewing Andrew Phillips, the head of XFEM during the Ricky Gervais show. Best uh, known for we're not scared of Andrew Phillips. <laughs> Uh, we don't know if he'll remember that, but we'll ask him. But, but I, I think it's fair to say we've, we've interviewed Richard Anderson on the show before. And um, that was yeah, I think that went well for our, our first ever interview. But we, we were quite nervous before. I think we're nervous again, aren't we? Not too bad, but a bit nervous. So how are you feeling, Miles? Yeah, I'm I'm more nervous with this one. I don't know why, but I think it'll be good. We've got so we've got some listener questions, which. Which we want to, which we want to ask uh, Andrew alongside our own uh, sort of inquiries. Uh, but, but I think it will offer more than anything, you know, an insight mm-hmm. into what it was like to work at XFM and not also just, to like not just work at there, but but run it, but manage the whole yeah. company really. And uh, also, I've spoken to him before briefly, but um, obviously he did have a relationship with Rick, Ricky, Steve and Carl. So kind of hoping to find out a little bit more about uh, what it was like to work with them and their personalities like behind the scenes as well as they're on, yeah. on their sort of personas. He, so, he's, um, he's a unique he's a unique take on, on um, that kind of world of Ricky Gervais, because. There aren't many people who've managed Ricky Gervais in his whole life, but he's one of them who has. You know, I know Ricky didn't really take his management probably. He wasn't scared of Andrew Phillips like as a manager, but he did manage Ricky Gervais and it'll be interesting to chat to him. So anyway, this is going to be that episode. We are currently uh, about 10 minutes away before he um, joins our Skype call. We hope you enjoy it. Yeah, we'll record a little sign off as well. Um, just a little plug. Next week, it's going to be a Dutch or otherwise, which is sort of more our general podcast. Then we'll be back to the Ricky Gervais show and D-Trout Spinners as they enter 2003. Um, so that's kind of the plan for what's coming up. But yeah, just hope it goes well. And uh, please leave your comments. Let us know. Yeah. Here he is with us. The man, the myth, the legend, Andrew <laughs> Phillips. Andrew, how's it going? We've got the right guy. <laughs> apparently that's what i've heard i'm a man a myth and a legend i've been called a lot of things in my life but never that that's fantastic well you have now so thank you thank, thank you, very, you much. very much for doing this we appreciate yeah, thank it thank you well i might you know pull out any moment so um you can there's an emergency button on the on the screen right. well, if, I don't, if i don't like your question usually what happens it goes quiet <laughs> so if it goes quiet i'd read that as like i'm not interested anymore and that was oh. the detail spinners podcast with andrew phillips yeah, see you later enjoyed that email in <laughs> so, Andrew, I'm just going to take you back, if I may, to, before we get into sort of broader questions about you and what you do and things like that. The reason the listeners know you, many listeners, many dedicated fans know you, is because of a particular show. So it's July 2003. Carl Pilkington is playing in the office a piece of audio that Ricky and Steve have written and is full of swearing and is very derogatory towards the radio authority apparently yep. and you 
walk by this is what Carl says you walk by and <laughs> say that's it's not going out like that do you remember that incident no it's a lot <laughs> that's, that's a silent but no. <clears throat> yeah that causes a lot of tension i do remember a lot of uh swearing um and i do remember that um yeah because yeah, I can swear because it's on a podcast, right? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, one of the characters in that those three names you mentioned made a really interesting line once, which was that I like the word fuck, and I like to use the word fuck. I just don't want to be told when I can and can't use it. <laughs> so, I just want the freedom to be able to use it. Now, of course, that's fine if you're in a podcasting world, but if you're in a radio world. I've yeah. got a funny feeling that the word fuck might not go down very well. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Even at XFM. Even, Even at, well, yeah, I mean, there was one thing I used to like to do, and I always encouraged it if possible, because I, I actually think if you bleep out a swear word, it's actually it's more funnier. impactful. It's more mm. funny. So I used to encourage all the presenters, if you're going to swear, that's fine, but just have your you know, a noisy button, a crazy button, like even like a fart or a zing or a bang. <laughs> and it's funnier, right? But and no, yeah. not. Those guys wanted to actually say the words and say lots of those words. And they were just pushing the buttons just for the fuck of it because they wanted to. Yeah. By the way, by the way, I don't like the word fuck and I hardly ever use the word because I think it's fucking dreadful. Well, that's (laughs) yeah, that's 27 times today. But yeah, (laughs) it can be impactful. We've discussed this about swearing and the things like because we write things and we we always think, well, you don't want to put too much swearing in it because it's like it's just just for the sake of it. But swearing can actually serve a purpose in sort of. Yeah, I'm in another book of another person you might have heard of. And uh, (laughs) basically, I had to fire him on the radio and effectively. He actually says the reference in the book, he says about myself, he goes, now, I like to use the F word, he said, uh, but never in my life I've heard so many Fs in one phone call. And yeah, so, I mean, you know, there's you've got to use the word in the right time. Absolutely. And sometimes if, it's funny. Sometimes it's not. If you and use it too often, it loses its meaning. Exactly <laughs> right. And F is one of those words. It's an amazing word. I mean, you, you could, I could say it in so many ways, like, you know, fuck you. And that means... And <laughs> so right. gonna, you can uh, say that. You can say that, Andrew, you whenever you want to guarantee. Exactly. And then I can say fuck you and fuck you. And that's, <laughs> yeah. got a, that's got even more of a meaning to it. And it's funny, right? Yeah. And fuck right. your show. So yeah, fuck, that, uh, fuck your podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll clip that and use it every week because that's the best compliment we've ever had. <laughs> we don't have any jingles, so... No, that's that's our jingle. We just set that. Well, no, Ricky, Ricky did say that though, because when when uh, when he talks about that feature, he said we could bleep out the the vowel, so it's the vowel that's offensive. <laughs> but the fact, yes. yeah, because I think they used a lot of c words. Now, a would a line be crossed on a on a like maybe not in your life in general, but as as a program controller, would mm-hmm. the c word even bleeped out be a line sort of too far for you? Well, it depends how how far you're bleeping out. I mean, like if you can be- hear the beginning of the word, I'd think you've already kind of like said the word. Yeah, I think they're pretty. Yeah, the secret, the secret. I mean, because they, they, you know, they took a length out. You know, to, uh, what's that word about when you say, uh, you know, take a little bit and make a make a, a long out of Mountain it? Out of a molehill. That's it. Something like that. Yeah. Fucking, I can't remember that stuff. But the, the the thing is, it's that that they did with the swearing and that kind of concept. You think about it because they're pushing it. Yeah, absolutely. And XFM. They, they actually wanted they wanted to get response, so they wanted to get in trouble. 
and they wanted my ass to get kicked. So effectively, <laughs> that's why they would push it and push it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're going to ask some other questions first, but I'm just going to come to this now. What, can, what's sorry, can I just... Can I just, yeah. you've, you've read the contract I sent in regards to <laughs> the non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, the non-disclosure, the, the NDA. NDA. <laughs> Basically, it says I have a limit, which is three questions. After that, I just don't know what to say anymore. You, do, you just, okay, that's None fine. None of them are interesting, Andrew, so try well, your best. Okay, see, see, what you, see what you think of this question then. Okay. Was Ricky Gervais the most challenging person that you've managed? And if not, who was? Oh, okay. Uh, first answer, no, not at all. Absolutely charming man charming man uh cheekiness about him um just one i'll tell you a story about him which kind of sums him up for me i was uh i was having a meeting with him actually he'd come into the the office to have a chat a catch-up and uh we decided to make a coffee and uh so we went to the kitchen area in the old uh capital radio building which is halfway in the middle of the building it's like and they're where the kitchens are are designed you're almost you're trapped as you go in them you know you've got to go in to make your coffee (laughs) your coffee sorry and then you probably die in there while making it and then come out so we went to make the coffee put the kettle on and um a very famous singer turned up and walked by at the same time to make uh, a coffee um you might know he's the lead singer of elbow yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know his name. Sky. Guy. 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 Sorry. Guy's his first name. Anyway, um, and they both looked at each other, and they were both awestruck. Oh, it was yeah. be- beautiful to watch. You just looked at it, and I thought, like, well, is somebody going to say something here or what? <laughs> mm-hmm. And literally, what happened was, I remember the situation was, Ricky was like, oh, oh, elbow, I love your music. Oh, I love your music. It's fantastic. And then you got guy going, Ricky, Ricky. I love you. I love you. The office, yeah. They basically just had this like love fest for a moment. Um, I went on and made a coffee and left them to it. But I think that sums him up. I think like mm-hmm. he's not always looking to be funny. I think he's just looking to be um, human and reactions to life uh, is what he does really, really well. And out of that comes the gold. But he's a he's a really good bloke, I think. Really good bloke. I yeah. think that's the same with like with like every, every kind of like media personality isn't there they're only ever showing you know what you see on TV or in an interview but you're never going to get to see that sort of behind the scenes you know social media does give you a little bit of an insight but I would love to have been you know you to see him like when he wasn't on stage as it were you know yeah you just you just saw him making a cup of coffee as you say that's a just no, he didn't make it he would never make it <laughs> oh, right, okay. uh, but the point i, I want there was another part of that question was have i worked with anybody else who's worse the answer is yes can i tell you who that is is the you answer definitely is can. No. no i can't no i can't <laughs> no you cannot change the contract just before no. we came on air that's <laughs> no, fine that, that's absolutely fine andrew but i once uh, bumped into ricky on oxford street too one day we just he was actually walking up Oxford Street and I was walking down Oxford Street bumping each other and yeah yeah hi hi and that was it do you still talk to him now like um uh, no, no not not nowhere like that used to be I mean how do you uh, I just yeah. you know, well, <laughs> what, about, what about Steve do you, do you talk to Steve much or Carl uh okay Steve I met uh, the, my best meeting with Steve when he was working for us was in the underground I literally got on the uh, underground. I think it was at Piccadilly. I think I got on at Piccadilly and he literally was standing there. Well, standing up because he has to. He couldn't, you know, find a seat <laughs> big enough. But he was standing, he was standing, holding on to the rails. I think someone was holding on to him. I can't confirm that or deny that. But something was 
<laughs> happening there. And I saw him and I said, hi. And he said, hi. And we had a bit of a chat. How you going? Very friendly guy. We kind of like whenever we had conversations in those early days, they were pretty cool. They were they were fine, you know, because we were all just starting then. None of us, you know, um, had egos, you know, I mean, like mm. Carl, you know, I could I could do anything with Carl in those days. But now, you know, um, he you know, if I meet up with Carl, it's like, um, you know, it's such an ego now. It's out of control. Really? Is that serious? No. Oh, it's massive. It's massive. He goes now. What happens is he, when he when you meet him for a coffee, the ego comes in first, and then he comes <laughs> in after. Older ego, and he goes, "I'm sick of it. See you later." Um, yeah. Andrew, can I ask you what what does a um what does a program controller actually do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're both fans of radio, and I I listen to radio a lot. I just want to know what your job was and like. What, what you did and well, you, the program controller which are now called content content directors because it's all changed but uh program controllers uh the jobs in say like the early the, let's go back a few years in, in radio they were pretty pretty uh powerful jobs and you had a lot of responsibility and basically because you lived and died by ratings which is you know every three months you get to know whether or not your shows your audiences and num uh, are working uh, you have a tremendous amount of responsibility there, and you have to do all, all, all of the uh, contracts um, for the talent, the formats, um, oversee that you're you're adhering to a, a promise of performance, uh, whatever. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember what it was like to work with the radio authority. And now, of course, it's Ofcom. Yeah. But they set they set a precedent of what you're allowed to do. And that's down to as much as how much music you're allowed to play, uh, how much speech you know and you just have to keep on top of all the laws and the regulations and particularly if people want to keep swearing on your radio station it's a nightmare <laughs> um, but you didn't have to like listen to all of the shows or anything there was obviously like some qa assessment that went on obviously at a different well, stage okay, there's, there's two, I mean, if you work for the public broadcasting e.g say the bbc you've got about seven thousand people working on one show yeah. so you've got oh. the producers 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 so they've got so many people working that there's layers. And the reason why they've got those layers is because it's harder to get to the person who's responsible. Mm. If, yeah. if, you go, if you go to commercial radio, it's just one fucker in charge. <laughs> and if it all goes wrong, he gets killed. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so much pressure. that's the old fashioned program. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of pressure because if you're doing a 24 seven, seven day a week radio station with, say, like most of it being live radio, you're under pressure all the time. Wow. And if you're recording your output all the time, as you have to, if you get one complaint, you have to be able to find that exact piece of audio and answer to it and explain God. it. God. And all the press that goes along with that, like having to make statements and, you know, cover your back. Well, it depends on who you're working for. See, so, for example, if you're working for a reasonable network or a group, then, again, you will have a press team that you'll go to and mm. and you'll have to go through lawyers even on what you are saying or not saying. Because you know, was XFM a reasonable employer? Did you did you like working there specifically as a program controller? Loved it. Oh, loved that's it. Nice I, to I, yeah, but one of the best best times of my life. Uh, I when yeah. I die on my stone, my epitaph, I want fucking useless at everything, but had a great time at XFM. <laughs> my my epitaph would just be the first bit of that, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, cry now. Yeah, well, that's meant, it's meant to. But, no, I loved it. I, I, you I, loved it. Just to give you the context, why I loved it was it was a challenge. It was ahead of its time. If you think about yeah. all of the names that have been 
on that station and are now household names. When you think about that, we yeah. took a hell of a lot of a risk. I mean, I remember when um, I hired Zane Lowe. Somebody yeah. in authority said to me, why the, why the fuck do you want to hire a Kiwi? Really? That Kiwi now runs Apple Music. And yeah, pretty exactly. Much, you know, what, what did that person have against Kiwis, particularly? Is it because it you're was, Australian and the, the conflict there? or is it No, just, it wasn't. No, nothing to do with that. It was just like I think he couldn't believe that you could find talent in just, the UK. Yeah, he was brilliant. I remember um, I remember listening to him on um, I can't remember what music station it was. But if you think of like the wealth of talent that originated at XFM, I think I'm totally with you because I I often when I talk to friends, I go, you've got to listen to this show because it's so ahead of time. time. And yeah. it was even, you know, look, even, for example, Dermot O'Leary. I remember Dermot O'Leary. Yeah. He did. Um, he filled in for John Kennedy. Did he really? Wow. John Kennedy. Right. And he's, I was like, he's like the only one there now, isn't he? Like Kennedy. John, and, and I think they've made some changes recently to his show. Oh, wow. Uh, but John Kennedy is like, uh, uh, well, back to the elbow story. I remember one day I was driving home from some gig and I heard Newborn by Elborn, which is I'll be the corpse in your corpse in your bathtub, which is a pretty interesting opening line for a song. But it's very beautiful with the piano melody. And I was gripped by this song. And I rang John. I said, John, who is that? He said, oh, it's Elbow. I said, put that on my desk. Oh. And so the next morning I work, I playlisted it. Wow. I think that was the beauty of John Kennedy in the fact that he would play all this sort of music. He was like the John Peel. Oh, I love. Did you ever work with? Because obviously there was like Adam and Joe, Simon Amstel. Yeah, look, um, I, I did. Okay, how's this, right? So the other day I was invited to speak at a um, a digital conference, and um, I think one of the subjects I was asked about was podcasting. So I thought to myself, you know what? Who the heck could I speak to? You know, about? And I, obviously the obvious names come <laughs> up, but they all told me to fuck off. They were too busy. <laughs> so what I did was I thought to myself, you know, why don't I call Adam Buxton? So. Um, what I did was I had to track him down first. So I sort of thought I had the old email address. Give it a try. It did work. And I said, do you remember me? He said, of course I remember you. I said, I, I need I need a little chat. Can I have a chat? And he goes, um, absolutely. What would you like to do? And I said, I just need a few questions on why podcasts work. How do you think they work? What would you do? How would you do it? What you would suggest? You know, that, generally some really interesting stuff. And he goes, not a problem. I'll tell you what. He said, uh, let's do it on Monday. I went, fine. And he gave me a time. I called him. So I, I called him. And if you listen to the Adam Buxton show, it's very much he I begins his, show, his show. walk with his dog, right? In his in his um in his manor, his farm he's got. <laughs> he walks with the dog and he talks about the week that was and what's going to happen. And so he said, I'll I'll talk, I'll do an intro with you while I'm doing that. So I'll record one for you. Oh, wow. So he literally recorded. And the first thing I said to him, I said to him, Hey, thanks very much for your time. He said, No, thank you. I said, mm. He goes, Well, you do realise that if you hadn't asked me and Joe to fill in for Ricky Gervais, we wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Mm. No, I bet. You've started I, so many careers, you know, like Adam. Ruined a few too, but, you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Must feel great. To, Look, to... You know what? I'm extremely honoured. and uh, But I was very um, courageous, and I say that humbly. Um, I was courageous in the fact that I would say that – not everything has to be right the first day you start it. And, you know, like if you let things go, you just don't know. There's a helicopter going over me. I think it could be Ricky Gervais popping around. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be right day one. And no. it doesn't have to be right day two. But if you give it time, 
people start to believe that there's a real narrative going on and that there's you know a lot of honesty and, and openness and that's the key to comedy that's the key to music passion you can't orchestrate and plan things too well you have to let things find themselves and if i look at xfm it was like when i first came in i took over from uh, bob geldoff did you really uh, yeah i did and uh, I can tell you an interesting Bob Geldof story, but I won't. But yeah, the, um, the the thing is, is that I took over from it and it, it was struggling to find its soul and audience because it had focused so much on a narrow playlist mm. of what was kind of Britpop at that time. And it was Oasis, Blur, Oasis, Blur, Oasis. And um, that's all You're it was. You're in good company. Gary loves Oasis. This yeah, is... I know. Well, who doesn't? And I, I can tell you some stories about them, but I won't. The, the <laughs> oh, thing is, is that the thing is, the thing is. So I said to myself, how are you going to grow XFM? If it's all about new, then, you know, why can't we burst that bubble and get out there and try comedy? Why can't we try, you know, dance music? In fact, Eddie Temple Morris, who's now a great jock on Virgin, started the remix show with him where dance meets rock. Now, everybody thought that was crazy, but uh, he's been doing that now for pretty much 20 years. And many DJs broke their music through that show. But if you explain that, if you try to explain that, so I'm going to do this show that's called Where Dance Meets Rock, everyone tell you to fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, it worked. When you hired people like that, um, or Adam and Joe, was there any sort of formal interview process or did you just sit and chat with them and get a vibe like this is going to work, I think, with these two and just hire them like that? Or was it a kind of formally like, you know, have an interview, do a trial show or did, did you just work on instinct? Ah, uh, well, very good questions. In fact, the best question of the podcast so far up to now. We we, we wrote them together. You wrote the question oh, together. Did, no, we did. We did not write that. That's not. Written. It just came. <laughs> uh, well, how do you unpack that? You see, I I, I don't think life's as simple as uh, that or this way. I don't think life's as simple as that. Um, it depends on the person. So, without giving away too many names, all are different. You know, I've met some of those people I work with in sort of a uh, interesting environment uh, where there's lots of things <laughs> happening to do. Lots to of things about. to do. Yeah, lots of things to do. That's right. Thank you very much for helping me out there. Um, <laughs> and, and in that environment, you go, do you know what? This guy's good. Or this lady's brilliant. That's that's talent, you know. Yeah. They're, they're able to say things instinctively, which are really clever. The challenge is, can they do that in a microphone? In, yeah. So if you're looking at somebody, and you can react. That's one part. But can you do it when nobody's looking at you? like just with the microphone. So it's about learning whether or not those people have that ability. Mm. Now, here's another thing about uh, teams on radio that's interesting about talent. It's all chemistry, right? Mm. And chemistry is what you're looking for. Now, you can't put people together and say, have chemistry. It doesn't work like that. So have a bit of crack. Have yeah, a bit exactly. Of crack. Yeah. Break the ice here, smoke <laughs> this. But it's, you know, no, really, it's about, it's about, seeing if there is a synergy if there is a natural form and then if not it's not going to work you see there are some people in the in in the names that we've talked about they're really good at leading so in other words give them the mic they're fine they'll they'll just keep going they can feed on stories and music and they're fine there are other people really talented people who cannot do that they have to be fed they need someone to say to them react react to it exactly right so it's there's not one case or one way you do it with everybody. You find it. Yeah. You have to do that patiently. How yeah. would you find how would you uh, define that dynamic then between 
Ricky, Steve, and Carl, like, what roles do they all play? Because do you, uh, do you still even listen back to those shows? Yeah, at I do. All? Time to time I do. Because uh, either, well, either that or somebody will send me something where I'm being insulted or yeah. assaulted. <laughs> and I, I thought it might be worth me seeing how I came out of that one. But I think, um, no, I do like it. I mean, the question, okay, somebody really famous in the BBC uh, said to me once, uh, I really like the Ricky Gervais show, Carl Pilkinen and uh, Steve Merchant. <laughs> Um, really like it, but they said uh, there's something that bothers me, and I went, yeah, what's that? They go, well, it's called the Ricky Gervais show, but he hardly speaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. all, all he does well, is laugh. Yeah. And I, I looked at them and I thought, you just haven't got it, have you? Uh, you haven't. Because what you're missing is that's why it works. Mm-hmm. And what worked about it was that Cull fed. In the feeding, Ricky and Stephen reacted, and Stephen became this kind of almost like adjudicator at points. Yeah, you know, that's, um, I was able to sort of like bring them both together or keep them apart. Yeah, uh, with whatever <laughs> we did, they're both very all of, actually know all of them, very talented people in the sense that they know how to keep the narrative alive. Yeah, and get to their point, right? But yeah. they didn't start that way because the way it started was is that Carl was just there to. Press, press the buttons, the buttons because yeah. Ricky made it very clear to me that I don't press any buttons. I ain't got time for that shit. Yeah, yeah he said he said as much on air as well. Absolutely, he didn't want to press the buttons. He got time for that shit. So Cole's Cole was the solution to that because he would be able to make sure the ads were played. Because if the ads don't get played, then the presenters don't get played. I remember Ricky also said to me when we were you know putting the show together, and um, I think it was it's pre the office going out actually. So, um, I mean, he said something about, ah, oh, there are conditions, I'll do it. And one of them is I won't press the buttons. Two was something about the fact that I pick all my own music. I said, that ain't happening. Yeah. That he was totally unplaylisted, weren't they? They were an unplaylisted. Oh, no, no, they, they had to play our music. They made out that they weren't, but okay. they were. But I said it was much better if you had a one choice per show. It's more powerful. You know, like yeah. if, if, you, if I said to you, hey, thanks for joining me on my show today. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to play you my favourite song of the day. You've got to keep waiting to hear that song, right? Well, Gary would just play Oasis, so it would be definitely maybe, you know, every show. No, they're lovely, Oasis. They're great. But uh, the other condition, I think, was was the fact uh, that we oh, he only would do the show if Stephen Merchant was on it. And I said, well, who's Stephen Merchant? Yeah. I didn't even know who he was. He wasn't famous yet. Yeah, exactly. And what? How, how did you feel about? I was also it? worried when I saw him whether he'd even fit in the studio. <laughs> but um, it worked unbelievably well, and that's why I think to this day people still there's a dedicated fan base for that show. It must feel nice that you you put that together. You put Carl with Ricky. You allowed Steve on with Ricky perfect combination that's very kind of you um i think what i'd say about that i mean carl and i worked on a few stations together pre that oh did you yeah different types of stations we used to do production together all right um when i was programming stations he would be like my right hand guy really he was basically your man at the back no he was man in the front he wouldn't work he was never (laughs) man he had a lot of attitude he still does um and basically um he's very talented i mean like the guy is a producer. That's the reason why his content works so well. He thinks it through. You know, with content delivery, it's about how do you start, 
and how do you end? Okay, it's, it's you get those two angles, you've kind of got a concept. Then the middle bit, which is what happens, is also hard, but you must know how you start and you must know mm-hmm. how you end. And if you think about that, if Ricky and Stephen had Cole coming into that, look at the genius of Cole, yeah, able what? able to play the character that yeah. they needed or wanted, but at the same time understand how the links would happen as well. Yeah, he was so talented, like the way he put together a show. You know, even when he was like coming out of like his links were really tight and really strong and his stories just fitted so well like he created a really nice arc when when he did the show you know it would all come full circle by the end of it and you know someone one of our listeners um said you know how big a role uh did carl play at xfm it seems quite downplayed at the shows um but he was he was the head of production is, is that right or yeah he was... absolutely no, he was he was very much so uh, head of production uh highly respected by many of the presenters um and the management team um i i spend many hours in that booth with him production booth because you know he liked to moan a lot and um <laughs> i used to i used to find that was a good way to you know, i would love keep, to hear that <laughs> keep quiet really it was in yeah. a sound studio really after a while i got it down pat i could look like i was interested but i was fucking asleep yeah <laughs> that's a good no, he, 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 he was, he's very talented. I, I, I really think the man is incredibly talented, and I'm really glad for him that he's come through what was a – you know, being a producer at a commercial radio station, that's a hard job. Yeah, I That's bet. a hard job, and he did it really well. I mean, his imaging – some of the stuff he would do as imaging for the station – phenomenal world class i mean he could have really? he could have he could have done that on any station any major station any major city in the world and it would have been massive wow. fantastic yeah he was very but talented someone who like started out you know in hospital radio i was yeah i, I, I just think it's so great when you you've learned the craft from that level and you just you work work your way up like i don't think that happens like nowadays because obviously everyone can podcast and yeah that's whatever. a great that's a really good thought you know because i think you know, there was still a mystery about radio that helped mm. the persona grow. Mm. Uh, podcasting doesn't quite have the same uh, magic about it mm. because everybody's doing it now. And there's a uh, lack of immediacy. Like, there is no one listening right now. It's yeah, you're right. All the podcasts are predominantly pre-recorded, right? Yeah. yeah. And radio was live. You know, radio was live. And that will sort you out because it's it's all very well be able to press buttons and make times and you know go to the news and play ads and yeah. but still be funny and also still found fa- sound like what, you're natural what a skill that can is I a ask, skill um can i ask you a question more generally about like the xfm culture like what the company culture was like because when i hear it i just think oh, i i just fucking love to work there like, it just sounds it yeah. just sounds like it was just a, a capture the moment in time and obviously there's loads of exciting music and i'm sure you've met loads of cool musicians and you've probably been to some mad parties and also but no one seemed to take their job like too seriously you hear the stories on the the, the ricky gervais show xfm shows and it's like there's jokes about claire claire sturge just being a smackhead and like I no just think- way <laughs> claire's not a smackhead she used to wear her slippers to work 
Which but, one? Uh, that's the new rock and roll, though, isn't it? Wearing your slippers to work. That's oh, Claire's lovely. I bumped into Claire the other day in Marks and Spencers. We were both buying sausage rolls. <laughs> a, you bump into a lot of people from XFM. They must. Well, you must she met her husband, didn't she? The DJ. She met her DJ. Oh, husband. Oh, did she? Didn't know. At XFM, yeah, yeah. What was it like? What was like the standard day then in the in the XFM office? What like was everyone like hungover or, or like? <laughs> you know, um, okay, I gotta be careful what I say here now. Um, what do I say? How do I answer all of that? Because say things, everything. No, there's things I want to say and things I can't say. Yeah. I guess really basically, to be honest, actually the place was fucking chaos. <laughs> it seemed it, but fucking chaos. Because I tell you what, I remember the way I described it was is that um, I used to say when we used to have meetings or, or chat about things in programming meetings or something, I used to say things like, who agrees or doesn't agree? Or what do you think? Uh, should we or shouldn't we? And I actually said after I said, you know what? None of the answers are wrong. Because in in effect, for this to be truly an alternative radio station, we all are right. Yeah. You were, you're quite, it was quite open-minded, wasn't it? And, you know, you weren't scared to take risks. Like, no, at we least were. that's from the observer. Weren't, they, weren't, uh, they weren't sort of um, unqualified risks. I mean, in, mm. in a sense... Uh, we were managed by a very um, strong commercial company that wanted a return Capital. on its investment. And, and to some degree, they never got it. Oh, and really? No, no, they never got it. I think they wanted – you've got to understand. I mean, I remember when I hired Zoe Ball. Wow, you know, really? Yeah, Zoe Ball did breakfast uh, – no, yeah. drive. drive yeah, 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 yeah. But the, the point is, is that I don't think Rajar, which was the measuring tool for radio – was ever going to work for an XFM audience. Mm, yeah. you know, they don't have pencils. Mm, no. They don't sit down in a room and <laughs> colour it half out. No. You know, it just doesn't work like that. Mostly they're fucking high and they haven't got a clue what they're doing. So give them a pencil and I think it would just be chaos. You know? <laughs> so we never, I don't think we ever got the audiences we deserved. And I it think... It doesn't like that. No, I... No. Maybe you got the audiences, but they were it wasn't reflected in the radar, so you didn't get the advertising. No, I was told once a certain BBC station, very famous BBC station, that you could walk into their office at our peak and they were all listening to XFM. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't surprise me. It's like a secret habit, isn't it? It's like a secret. No one dares to say anything. Yeah, even now, like it's it's got this cult audience now. I'm sure you're aware of it. Like exists on like YouTube threads and like reddit threads and facebook groups people love these shows you know that's kind of the reason we want to do this podcast and and speak to you because just to get that insight because um it's just so nice to well, tim other- lovejoy was another guy he you know tim yeah. oh, soccer really? him, brought him in he did mornings and um he's great he's talented he's so talented oh, and, and he was great he had a real passion for music and some of the things he used to do you know like uh, i think he came up with that famous uh, uh game he used to play called indie bin that's so great. if you didn't like the song, did it go in the bin or in the indie, indie bin. bin? Get it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. He's a good he's a good guy, and actually he's I think he guy. comes across better on radio than TV. He's not a bad TV presenter at all, but uh, I like him on radio. You would not know how many of the names, great names that worked on XFM, but also um, are now massive on television. I'm would sure. say to me in those early days when we were doing radio, they'd say, I'm learning stuff here that I've never thought about in my life. And I have I've had more of a vibe doing radio show than I've ever had doing TV. Yeah. There's something about it. It's just Yeah, it's magic. 
it's magic because you know you're you're speaking to an audience live like on tv but the audience has to build up the picture in their own head of what's going on around you and things whereas tv you see it there's more imagination i think in listening to radio and that's why i think it's probably more special and mars and i both love radio as well hence why we listen to the xfm shows and a lot of people do i think as well well there's not too much out there now that is the same as but in in effect it was a different time and i've often i've often thought that if social media was alive in the time of xfm Mm. what would have happened to us yeah would it it have made us good or would it have made us absolute you know arsehole wankers you know what would it have done to us i think what worked was because we were the underdog Mm. that's why in time what we did has become more powerful yeah and what do you think about the station now? Because now it's not so much of an underdog. It's more mainstream, I think. Now. They, it probably is still. It's it's not completely mainstream, but it's more mainstream because of having larger audiences and things. But it hasn't a little bit because it's 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 a self-styled alternative indie station. You know, they often joked about that. You know, if do, do you listen to Ellis and John? No. No. Oh, because they're they're really good. Now they've moved on to BBC. Uh, five live but they start they were on radio x uh you know when they were sort of bring about you know the comedy duo uh mm. they're they're so great you know but i think i think radio x is a much more self-aware you know a station now as, as it was back then because it seems like back then you probably weren't trying to do anything like edgy it just it just was and the time was right and everything you know the chemistry was there and it was just an epicenter of well, maybe maybe it's a lot more simpler than that maybe it's the fact that everything was against us mm. you know nobody really wanted an alternative radio station no one really believed it could work um yeah. and they didn't know half the time what audience they were focusing on so like are we after men or are we after women are we after this age or that age do we want a wider audience let's play more Coldplay. you know it's like um, there was constant battles as to who are we going for because we must be bigger because mm. you see in a commercial life unless your audience is strong you don't make any money okay so this is the interesting way that the world has changed social media now allows you to build an amazing audience that's massive around the world and if you get the right numbers the social media pays you for that audience yeah because in effect they want to use that audience to advertise with so but it's a different world you see and i think success today seems a lot more oh this will sound bad but it seems a lot more easier to find mm. i mean i i've worked with a couple of you you know youtube superstars i've done a couple of things with them and we've made you know the audience uh, responses in the millions which is incredible wow. incredible but they've put the work in and they've got the relationship they've been true to that personality and they keep doing it and their audience is loyal um, and it's hard work, though, but they do it. But they can make it work, if you sense. They they design it to fit what the audience wants. What mm. XFM was doing was, in the early days, was trying to be alternative when nobody wanted alternative. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, my only point was that, that, yeah, now I think alternative, being alternative is far more fashionable and accessible. Yes than it was then so that's so has it lost do you think it's lost some of that underdog spirit that well, radio x now yeah radio yeah. x because it's, well, see, it's it, the owners you see it comes down to the owners uh the owners will have a view of it what the owners want from that brand is money mm. and what they've got now with that brand is money i mean chris moyles was always going to bring an audience with him and he did it's 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 slick now they do their social media well they have a brand that's working and in the market, 
by and large, it holds a position of which it's it's uh, trying really, you know, hard to to fulfil. I think it's not XFM though, and it, uh, it's yeah. it's it's a new station called Radio X. In fact, when they buried XFM, they buried XFM. Oh no, I'm mm. glad they did. Mm. I'm glad they did because we retain what XFM was. Yeah, yeah, right. No, that makes they sense. Can never ever. Uh, we can never ever say XFM doesn't sound like XFM. We could always say, yeah, I remember XFM. God, I'd love to have been there. <laughs> I would and have that, loved to have been there. Oh, I would have loved it. But even now, Radio X seems quite alternative, interesting, good, and it has a lot of the elements that XFM had, but it's not the same. And you're right, it's in a different time. It's in a different period because there was no social media and things like that. So I want to talk about some of the people that you, you've met, like musician-wise, because I wanted okay. to know, yeah, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and this was just for me, really, <laughs> I want to know if yeah. you've met Bowie. Yes, I have. What was Bowie like? Amazing. I met him I met him with Zane Lowe and um I was very naughty. I um I knew I was knew I was gonna meet him. So I got all my CDs. Uh, <laughs> David Bowie you would, put, yeah. put them in my back pocket and I thought, Well, what the hell? I mean you don't know, right? So Zane and I fronted up I think it was at HMV in Oxford Street, if I remember right. And um, Zane obviously met him, talked to him. He was going to introduce him to do a live set as well. But we were backsta- backstage, met him. And uh, I was able to shake his hand. Oh, wow. And um, uh, now, look, listen, I don't. There are Did many, many, there are many, many musicians that I adore. And, you know, uh, my, I can't show you. I mean, this is, you're looking at on Skype, obviously on podcast. Yeah. I can't see. But th- this is my cabin. It's got two rooms. And they're both full of music stuff that I've collected over the years. Wow. Um, memorabilia. Yeah, memorabilia and stuff like that. Anyway, I said I shook David's hand um, and he was more than what I thought he would be. He was he was so beautiful. It's hard to yeah. explain. He was like you knew he was talented. You knew he was an artist, but you didn't know how cool he was. He was so cool. He was like he just was perfect you know like he was everything i wanted him to be and more yeah and he was so generous with his time and he looked at me he signed all those cd covers for me bro oh wow what a guy is he gives off just this it's this is ephemera it's just this atmosphere i don't even just start watching one of his videos that my mum. i'll tell you what i reckon it is i'll tell you what i reckon it is having met a lot of them the greatest artists have one ability that um makes them amazing which is that when they focus on the person in front of them, they make that person everything. That's what he did. Yeah. That's what he did. But he was also able to do that to a concert audience. Because often with the stars, you know, and heroes, you hear stories that are the opposite of that. Yes. And... Predominantly, in fact, earlier when you were talking about the personas of um, of uh, presenters and so on and what they were like and comedians. Sort of One of the things I noticed when we started to talk to a lot of big names is that you get them to come in and we were all really excited. We'd be going like, ah, oh, great. We're going to see this guy, this comedian. Can't wait. Bring him in. You know, boom. Day comes. We're so excited. They walk into the building, he or she walk into the building and there's boring as batshit. Oh, I can't. No, no, no. no wait, wait. I'm, I'm going to explain something to you. Something I've learned. Okay. Something I've learned. And so you go, oh, that's a shame. 
and you, you know you try to be nice and they're just like they're hardly saying anything hardly saying anything because you get the, the the head knock or you you might get a handshake something like yeah that. you take them into the studio you introduce them to the presenter still they say nothing nothing quiet and the presenter's like well what the hell's going on here then i thought you were oh, freak out thought funny thought you were, <laughs> yeah. wait for it wait for it wait for it you explain what you're going to do yep that's what we're going to do fine they usually they're there because they're promoting a tour, a book, uh, or something that they're they're about to do. Mm. And what will happen is the presenter will say, "Okay, we're going to go live uh, after this song. I'll introduce it like this. Boom, here we go." That you get to that moment, they ask the question to the presenter. That persona comes alive, and yeah. that character comes into being. And on the live, the mic to the presenter, it's happening. End of the question. They go back into the boring. Now, think about this. What I learned was this. I learned that, let's say, say you're Coldplay, right? You've got to do the same songs everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to, yeah. you've got to, you've got to be asked the same question over All and over the time. Again. So as a persona, you've got to decide, I've got to protect myself here because I cannot give everything every time. You'd be exhausted, wouldn't exactly you? Exactly right. And, and in comedy sense, Think about it in that. If you give all your jokes away every time you meet people, yeah. what have you got in a routine? I mean, that's part of the reason why I think Ricky Gervais's comedies, they're basically well organized for himself because he knows his material and he doesn't give it away. He's really good at natural reaction. Mm. So he does that in, in whatever. But he knows his shows are his shows. Yeah. May I ask you, Andrew, do you, do you watch um like Ricky's work now, like post office? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, because a lot of people, well, our audience are kind of split. Like, we've got a particular audience who are fascinated by Ricky, you know, from like the early 90s to, you know, 2004, five, you know, that sort of period. But now there's another audience that has developed, you know, with Afterlife and Derek. Now, I'm not particularly on board of those things, but I was just wondering on. But do you see a change yourself for someone who's worked with him and now that and obviously someone who's in the public eye a lot and very active on Twitter and social media? I was just wondering, do you see a development in him and and understand why people might perceive him to be different person now? Hmm. I think if you're if you're a real fan of um, of Ricky's work, I don't think you'd see that there's much difference in all of it. Uh, I think you would probably acknowledge that he almost is always the character that is, which is um, he sees the world in a certain way and he always brings that out. Yeah. Uh, he laughs at pain. He challenges everything that is supposed to be normal. And if you think about everything he's done, it's he, that's it's always that achieved he's in everything he's done. Faithful to yeah. that. Yeah. He's been very faithful to that. I think he's got really good at social media. That's what surprised me. I think when he realized the power of going live, mm. you would imagine, imagine, imagine if Ricky, Stephen and Cole were a YouTube channel now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine. <laughs> quite big. Yeah. Quite... Well, they were pioneers, weren't they, with the podcast? They wouldn't do it because they're all fucking ugly and they know that. <laughs> but radio is good. Well, Ricky's them. in pretty good shape now. He wasn't back then. <laughs> Well, he goes in and out of shape, doesn't he? I think <laughs> even even Steve's in better shape now. But well, look at him I and mean, look what Steve. I mean, can you imagine that Steve is even responsible for lip sync? That's his idea. Wow. Yeah, he owns that lip sync. But the the he's done a lot of other things as well. But you know, like all of it is like as a as a talent, you're always pushing yourself. You know how when an artist comes out with a great first album, and uh, everyone's like, oh, it's brilliant, it's a great piece of work. 
Mm. And they call it the second album syndrome, which is it always fails. Because you see, I think your best work comes about from when you're at your most pressure or under circumstances that force it. You get it? I totally agree with you. I think what you should be saying is Ricky is a great talent because he's now transcend for like, you know, a couple of decades now. And, you know, that in itself shows that he, he has found a niche and that niche keeps growing. I quite like Afterlife. I think it's I think it's really, really good because I think there's more in Afterlife than you get from the first viewing. And I actually know it was filmed not far around from where I live. I actually know where that church is and where they, you know, they sat there and so on. But I think you rewatch those programs, you'll get something else out of it. Yeah, I probably should, yeah, should we, uh, we, return back to it. There's going to be a third version, uh, a third a third in the series, I think. Well, he's done very well. And I saw an interview with him where he's at this huge London mansion. And he mm. said, this is Netflix money. This is the Netflix money. It's bought me this house. So it's he's done very, very well with them. Oh, very, very well. I mean, he's doing things that I don't think. I mean, there is a famous story about him. I don't, and I hope I'm not going to be in trouble for saying it. I'll try. I'll be very clever. So, OK, effectively, there's a story that he was once offered a stack of money. And I'm, I'm talking a stack of money. Mm-hmm. to do a certain ad for um, an American company. Mm-hmm. And they made it very clear, we want him, and this is how much we're prepared to, to pay. And, you know, there's some good zeros on that. Mm. And um, the the story goes that uh, Ricky said no. First time, just no. And <laughs> the manager's like, uh, you don't want to think about it? No. What, no? The manager goes, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so you want me to go back and say no? Yep. Go back and say no. So he goes back, says no to the American company. And do you know what the American company said? Double it. Well done, mate. Oh, really? We, we knew that. We knew that. So it's doubled. Oh, wow. So yeah. now there's a tricky position because the manager's got to come back and say uh, it's double. Now, if yeah. I was a manager, I'd be thinking Please. 20%. Yeah. I'd be thinking, yeah. Yeah. or 2%, whatever he's negotiating, I'd be thinking, like, you got to say yes, man, you got to say yes. So he goes, uh, mate, uh, checked, and uh, they've come back, and uh, it's double the offer. And, and, and Ricky's answer is definitely no. <laughs> yeah. I do respect Cheeky that. Cheeky little... Because he's now earned far more money than that advert would have paid him, but he's done it in the way that it was true to his values. You don't know your value, you'll never get there. Yeah, I, I respect that in him. Any yeah. more juicy stories? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, and, that, and that one I just made up, so it's not even true. <laughs> um, I've got yeah. some, um, Andrew, I've got some listener questions for you. Yeah, okay. there's some listener questions, Andrew, because that, that, we went out saying that you were on the show. We got inundated with questions but we're just going to pick out a couple now for you and, the, and a lot of them were so specific to like <laughs> the, the show yeah yeah which you're obviously not going to remember i mean mm. yeah who would how often um did you get complaints about the ricky gervais show <laughs> we we know they we know they only had one upheld but i feel like they probably got a bunch every week from ricky swearing and the stuff about freaks chinese people and gay people <laughs> Yeah, so, and the next question is? 
And it's funny because the next question is also about that. It says, if the radio show ran today, how long do you think it would take to be flooded with complaints and as a result be forced to change or be taken off air? Oh, but okay. So here's the interesting thing about the second question. The second question is this: I actually think if that was, if they did what they did then, now it'd be tame compared to what's done on social media now. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and if you think about podcasting, podcasting has no particular rules, so you can do anything. So. You know, people are doing some really weird shit now on podcasting and streaming and YouTube to try and get your attention. It's like I, I've talked with some of these people and I go, what are you going to do next? Kill yourself? Because then you won't have a ne- then you won't have another show. It's like, what, what are you trying to do? So I think uh, it's different. Again, we're at a different time. Let, if I go back, was there was there was there a lot of complaints? Were people disinterested? Most people didn't get it. But the audience that understood it and understood it really understood it. and why is it that other stations wanted them mm. did they really did you get offers from did other people like offer it doesn't work like that mate i do if you run a radio <laughs> station and you don't get an offer can i have people try and take it without telling you and yeah then you find out the other way <laughs> no. so i think um it's it's very much about the loyalty. I, I I think to a degree. I think if you think about the the context of what I said about wanting to be able to say f the f word and not be yeah. told when to do it. No radio station would could give you that right. And I think that's why the natural world became the podcasting world. And they were they were sort of they were they started it really. They were the champions. They they basically proved you could go down a road, do it in a certain way, and get followers, and also get people to even pay for it. It's like XFM seems like it was almost a social media. It, it was sort of social media before social media actually happened. Like it was kind of very, very. It was di- the sort of things you would share on social media now that wouldn't oh, yeah. come out. But do you, do you remember the great show on XFM? It was called The Hijack. No. no oh, The Hijack. Do some research into The Hijack. The right. Hijack. The Hijack was a concept we had where we had to fill in. I think it was about an hour of programming and we didn't know what to fill it with and i actually believe i think it was cole's idea that why don't we call it the hijack well what does that mean cole well what it means is is that anybody any celebrity whether it be a musician an actor or whatever comedian they can come in and they hijack the station for an hour that's a good idea and they play their own music now we had everybody on that we had the who's who of entertainment want to do a hijack could you imagine today on radio starting a show called the hijack no they'd be too scared wouldn't they about like what they'd say what they do what they play you know do you ever feel like nostalgic for for that time in in your life or just that time generally in culture because i don't know as someone definitely nostalgia definitely nostalgia um yeah definitely and i think that um you know to be able to look back on your life if you're in in content or in entertainment if you're able to look back at some point and get a little tear in the back of your eye you might have done something okay yeah, that's sweet that's very sweet and uh, oh. i can imagine it was it, it must you must feel incredibly proud to have been involved in so many people's careers you know, i am but i'm not allowed to be and and <laughs> i don't think a lot of people give a shit uh, about <laughs> well, what sure they do we Which, well the problem is we we were a little bit like we started it and then everybody took off and went everywhere, you know, and they've yeah. done their own stories and gone around the world a thousand flew the times. Nest. So yeah, they flew the nest. Everybody grew up and, and they've, I, I guess what I've got to be proud of is that everybody took a bit of that XFM with them everywhere mm. they went. And that was Andrew Phillips. The, and it, it, I think I, I said before the show, the man, the myth, the legend. Well, he certainly 
he was a very interesting character, wasn't he? Like he I was... really, uh, Gary, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, <laughs> I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that so much. I could have I could have talked to him and maybe had a pint and talked for at least another three or four hours because he yeah. was such an interesting guy because we did want to talk about the XFM shows, but we ended up talking about, you know, radio in general and, and his life and, you know, the sort of characters he's met and musicians. Comedy and the, in general as well. We talked a lot about comedy specifically. And, you know, it's just so interesting to talk to a man who has launched many people's careers and i'm not saying that all those people wouldn't have had a career without andrew phillips but he certainly played an important role in in a lot of people's careers and it was it was a kind of it felt i didn't want to say this because it sounds like all sucking up i didn't say it to him but it it really was a privilege to speak to him yeah i agree i just uh yeah i'm kind of a bit (laughs) i've got relaxed now (laughs) i've gone a bit of a high yeah it's no lie to say we were both anxious before the show and we were very anxious. But anyway, he, he said that I, I think it, as soon as as soon as it started, I felt relaxed. But he, he said off air that he'd like to he would come on again. So maybe he'll, oh, he'll wow. tell some of those stories that he didn't tell this time. <laughs> the contract. But um, yeah, a, a great guy. Very interesting. And um, yeah, he was he was kind of in this. He, he described it before we started um, recording like a Swedish cabin. <laughs> Like then it was it was quite you couldn't really see it as blur but he had a lot of record discs and things around him and yeah I'd love to have had his life I'm jealous. <laughs> so yeah I hope I really hope you enjoyed that chat um everyone do tweet us uh, at trout underscore de Gary set that up I'm not to blame. Or, um, I was thinking, uh, <laughs> or or you can Instagram me at Duchess underscore Pennell. As Gary said at the start of the show, we'll be recording a Dutch or otherwise uh, show, uh, which will go out next Friday. Uh, and that's basically an opportunity for Gary and I to discuss, you know, whatever we want to discuss. Chat. Yeah, we, 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 I mean, it's not that we plan, we don't plan D-Trout Spinners that down to a lot of detail but we certainly don't we don't plan if you want to hear us unplanned Badil and Skinner unscripted Forrester <laughs> and Purnell unscripted then that that's um um Dutch or otherwise so and then of course as I say we will be back to D-Trap Spinners the XFM show as they go into January 2003 a very a very very interesting set of shows so please join us for that and and let us know what you thought of of the interview let us know what you thought of andrew what you thought of our interviewing styles you know because we're learning as well so yeah any feedback is great and yeah next friday we'll see you again with a dutch or otherwise yeah thanks for listening everyone i've been mars panel with me gary forrestal across the way yeah. in where well, there he is all right I do. Care, everyone yeah <laughs> uh, take care everyone uh look after yourself Stay and safe. each other all right ciao see ya